This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Fabulous. Good morning, Emmaus. I know we say that every week, but it's super fun to see some of you in person. So thank you all for being here. The scripture reading this morning is Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk into the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Selah. The wicked shall turn, return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, actual people. <laughs> it's been... Uh... Don't get me wrong, it's been fun to uh, preach and sing with Eric, Lorne, and Ben, um, but, but now, that, now that that group has expanded a little bit, uh, it's even more exciting. I think, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about how much more joy it is to be here with just a handful of people socially distanced in the room, and I'm like, what is it going to be like when the saints gather in front of Christ himself? to see him face to face and be presented with his beauty in a way that we can't imagine after the complete number of believers are completely transformed into the image of Christ. So I just like, man, the joy of just a few more people in the room, and I think about how that's projected outward to the joy of all of us gathered together someday for eternity. Um, no wonder Paul says we can't imagine what those things will be like. So one, one thing we say at... Emmaus, and I use that phrase, is that we're being transformed by the beauty of the gospel. What we're saying is that we believe that the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, that beautiful gospel is what transforms us or changes us more into the image of Christ. So that means that the more we understand God in the gospel, the more we see his beauty in Christ the more we, we actually look like Jesus in every part of our life. Uh, and you could, you could call that discipleship. We're just being changed into the image of Christ by the beauty of Christ in all aspects of our life. Which, that's what we mean when we say we're transformed 
by the beauty of the gospel. We're being changed into the image of Christ by the beauty of Christ in all aspects of our life. And I feel like that's just one of those statements that makes sense in theory, but it gets a little bit harder when we actually try to work that out in the details of our lives. You know, sometimes there's just parts of our lives that we don't think about that. Like, how do we look like Jesus when we're crushing it on the slopes? Or how do we look like Jesus when we're getting promoted or crossing off that next 14er? Like, how do I look like Jesus when I do, when I'm successful at stuff? Uh, Sometimes we know how to look like Jesus, but it's just hard. Like, how do you look like Jesus when people constantly offend you or insult you or disrespect you? Most of us kind of just avoid those situations, um, but does that, is that what it means to look like Jesus? How do you look like Jesus when you've been struggling with something for years? Maybe your own sin or someone else's sin, and you're just over it. Some struggles are exhausting. Does it, does it look like Jesus to just bail on those things? If we want to be changed into the image of Jesus, by the beauty of Jesus in all aspects of our lives, we kind of have to start asking some of those questions on what does that look like? And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, in some sense, we should probably be approaching answers to those questions as well. How do we look like Jesus in every aspect of our lives? And if we know how, how does the beauty of Jesus actually enable me to do that? So we get some answers in Psalm 9. We get David sort of in a handful of life situations responding in a way that looks like Jesus, and he does that by not forgetting about God. That's kind of the start. If we want to look like Jesus and be changed by the beauty of Jesus, we have to start by not forgetting about God. Do you have some success? Don't forget God. Were you offended by someone? Don't forget God. Are you struggling to endure? Don't forget God. And we're going to kind of unpack that more, but the, but the simple start in answering the question, how am I changed into the image of Christ by the beauty of Christ in every aspect of my life? The simple start is, don't forget about God. And this psalm, like a lot of the other psalms, kind of gives us what that practically looks like, what it actually looks like to not forget about God in these different parts of our life. So let's remember God as we go forward and think about not forgetting God, and we'll start with some prayer as we remember the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, just the joy of the gathering of believers. Um, We do look forward to that day when we're imaging you perfectly, we're beholding your beauty, and uh, we're just fullness of joy with countless other others of your people, Lord. Uh, yeah, it's just tough to even wrap our minds around what that could be like, and yet that's, that's what you have promised us. I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people who are here. Thank you for the people who are watching. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be encouraging to them so that we could look like your son uh, by the beauty of your son in all aspects of our life. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so as the, as the Psalms get a little bit longer and we try to keep the sermons kind of the same length. Uh, It's going to be harder to go through every little detail of every single verse. Uh, Hopefully I can walk through enough of the psalm though so that you can see how scripture is generally just teaching us not to forget about God in these different situations. Um, So my outline is pretty simple. Don't forget God. Uh, We'll look at with success in verses one through five. We'll get when offended with verses six through 12. And we'll look at for endurance in verses 13 through 18. 
So let's start with success. Let's start with those times where everything kind of goes the way we want, or, or even times where we finally accomplish something that we've been working really hard towards. A success is great. A success is something that we should aim for. So how do we look like Jesus when we finally hit the target, when we finally achieve the thing that we've been working so hard to achieve? Well, it comes down to how we talk about our success. Or if we're behind a keyboard, how we post, blog, Insta, or Snapchat, which is my favorite about our success. So when we, when we succeed at something, when we're successful, what are the kinds of things we say or we post about? And usually for me, it's like details on how much time or effort or planning other people. It's kind of what it meant to them or the level of difficulty it was for us to accomplish whatever it was we accomplished. And, and all those things might be true and related to our success, but the things I just listed forgot God. When we talk or post about all the things we've accomplished, then we're making the mistake of forgetting about God. So look at verses three through five to see how David talks about his success. I can actually, there we go. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever. Okay, so if you know anything about David, bro, flush with success. <laughs> they had, he was hashtag winning before it was even a thing. And there was actually a song about how much more awesome he was than the current king when he wasn't the king, which didn't really go over well with the current king, but David basically only knew success. And so if you look at how he talks about it though in this verse, he says, it's your presence. You have maintained my cause. You have sat on the throne you have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish, you have blotted out their name. David says, God, you, 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 you have led to my success. David knows that when broken, sinful creatures have any measure of success, that that success is a pure gift from God. That's God being gracious to his creation in ways that none of us deserve. But, in the first couple of verses, David does talk about himself. Look at what he says. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. David contributes, but he contributes praise and thanks with his whole heart to God. That's what it looks like to not forget God when we have success. Unmixed praise and thanks for the good gifts that come from the Most High. So the next time God gives us a success, how can we look like Christ by the beauty of Christ in that part of our lives? We start by not forgetting about God. We start by realizing a holy God gives sinful creatures, not just his son, but the gifts of success that we don't even deserve. And if we don't forget God in our success, then thankfulness and praise is how we're gonna look like Christ by the beauty of Christ in that part of our life. So what about when we're offended? We definitely can't forget God when we're offended if we wanna look like Christ by the beauty of Christ in that part of our life. I mean, we're all 
going to be offended, insulted, or disrespected at some point, uh, more likely by people that are close to us. So how do we respond to that? And my, inst- my instinct is kind of just to make sure that whoever offended me just knows that they did. Like, hey, you know, I just need you to know that this was offensive. Um, and then, you know, I feel like we can even disguise that in an apology so that way at least they know that they offended me. And an- another temptation when we're offended is just that we need to make sure whoever offended us, insulted or disrespected, just learns they kind of just learn that, hey, they, they can't do that. So I need to make sure that they experience some kind of consequence or you know, they just won't learn. Uh, maybe that's ignoring them, that way they'll learn. Maybe it's just reminding them of all the other times they offended me this way. Uh, maybe that way they'll learn. Uh, maybe for some people it's lashing out, telling them off, or using their offense as an opportunity to work kind of my agenda, or even just considering inflicting physical pain on someone. When we're offended, Most of the time, our first instinct is to judge and punish. Our first instinct is to point out the wrong and bring some kind of punishment, whether it's just completely ignoring that person or violence and everything in between. But we've decided that this sin can't go unpunished. So that makes us the judge, the jury, and the executioner of whoever's offended me. And no surprise, the problem with that train of thought is that it completely leaves God out of the picture. That way of thinking is totally forgotten God. So look at verse seven and eight and see David respond to people who have offended him when he remembers God. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. David didn't forget God when he's offended because he knows that God will never let any sin go unpunished because God is the true king on the real throne and he is the one who judges the world, not David. So David leaves the judgment up to God. David doesn't have to punish the sins of those who offended him. You might be thinking, okay, if I left every offense up to God to deal with, I would just kind of be walked over, walked all over all the time. And I think there's, if you're thinking that, there's a couple of things to consider. First, God commands that governments do use their authority to punish sin. God also commands that parents use their authority to discipline their children. And God speaks specifically within the church community. He commands that brothers and sisters in Christ who have been offended go to whoever has offended them with the desire to see them also transformed into the image of Christ. Cole has a whole sermon on that for Matthew 18. But in the same way that God forgives us, Christians are called to bring forgiveness to whoever has offended them with the sole desire to see our brother or sister look more like Jesus themselves and experience the beauty of Jesus in us when we bring that forgiveness to them. And this is super critical. So much so that Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. Forgiveness and reconciliation are such a critical part of being a Christian that sustained refusal to forgive is an indication that you may not be one. That's because God intended that his grace and mercy would transform us so that then we could pour out that grace and mercy on others with the intention of transforming them. 
That's why God forgives us, so that we could forgive others. Now, you might think, that sounds wonderful in theory, but what about you know, that, that one person at work? I feel like we all have that one person at work. Or what about that person that never seems to change even after I've forgiven them? Or, you know, sometimes we have people in our lives who just enjoy offending us and they don't even care. When I'm, when I'm offended by those people, I mean, it must be okay to ignore, scold, or punish those people or they're never going to learn, right? No. That's why David is telling us not to forget God because he's the judge. God will literally ensure that every sin is punished and it's not up to us. And here's the issue. If we leave, if we consider God and we leave it up to God to judge sin, and I just forgive people when they offend me, and we think, well, you know, won't I just be stepped on? Won't I just be taken advantage of if I don't ensure that they have some consequences? That's a real question. The answer is yeah. You will. And in those moments, you actually look more like Christ as you take up your cross and as you suffer for doing what's right. As you don't forget God and you trust him to judge and to punish all the sin and not you. But it's that suffering, that suffering for doing what's right, that brings us to the other side of not forgetting God when we're offended. Look at verses nine and 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed or those who are taken advantage of, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know the name or those who know the character of the God that they trust, they know his character and they put their trust in him. So are you insulted by others even when you try to do the right thing? You can actually trust God because you have a brother. You have Jesus who came down to earth and accomplished nothing but the right thing in every single moment of his life. And the world acknowledged that accomplishment by putting him up on a cross. You can suffer for doing what's right because you trust in the acceptance of God, not in the acceptance of others. That's the beauty of Jesus making you like the image of Jesus. That's not forgetting God when you're offended. And maybe you're disrespected by people because you did fail, because you did sin. In that situation, you can still trust God, trust that God sees you as the perfect son or perfect daughter that he loves and cherishes. And there isn't a real failure. There isn't an actual sin that can take that view away. People can disrespect me when I fail because I am a failure. That's why I'm a Christian. I trust that Jesus makes me acceptable, not me. So I can be okay with humiliation. That's the beauty of Jesus making you like the image of Jesus. That's not forgetting God when you're offended. You will get kind of stepped on in this life. And if you want to take up your cross and follow Jesus, you can't forget that your refuge is in the God you trust. Nothing else or no one else. And that leads us to, I think, one of the hardest parts of our lives to look like Jesus the times where God calls us to endure. Often we're 
We're just called to endure hard things for a long time and it's super easy to lose hope. Hope that God is still working or, or hope that it's even worth it. We, we could be called to endure our sin or, or the sin of someone else. We could be called to endure physical suffering in this world, poverty, or even just a hard job. And if we forget the God that calls us to endure those things, it's easy to think that there's no purpose in what we're enduring or just think regardless of the purpose, it's just not worth it. Look at verses 15 and 16. David is helping us not forget about God when he calls us to endure. It says, the nations have sunk in the pit they have made and the net they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. So how can we be confident when God is calling us to endure something that seems hard and that seems pointless and you know, maybe for all practical reasons seems, seems endless, how can we have confidence that God is working in those things? He says, look at the past. The nations have sunk. The foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. David says that if you're doubting that God has a purpose on you as you endure something that's hard, look at the past so that you can trust what God is doing in the present. I mean, the Israelites were stuck in Egypt for like 400 years. David can look back and see that God used that time to take 12 brothers and turn them into millions of people who left Egypt the Bible says, plundering the Egyptians with all of their gold and silver and livestock and food. So that now millions of people are coming out of Egypt and can be set up as a successful nation right off the bat, which is the reason why David is sitting on the throne in the first place. Tell that to someone in year 273, that was God's plan. We can look back and see what God is doing so that we can trust God is working in the present. And this, the same goes for us. If we've lost hope that God is working while we're enduring our suffering, we forgot about the God that we worship, the God that we can trust today, the God that has in the past already made himself known. And, you know, David had some things to look back to, but think we have even more to look back. We can see the suffering of the entire life of the perfect son that ended up with him being put on a throne and now pouring out his spirit on all his people. And if God can use the suffering of the entire life of his son, then he can use our suffering, even the suffering that we have to endure for our good and his glory. That's what the gospel does. It shows us how God has worked in the past so that we can trust what God is doing in the present. That's helping us look like Christ by the beauty of Christ. Really, that's not forgetting God. So maybe if we believe that, Maybe we do believe that God is working. We just don't think it's worth it. David addresses that in verse 17 and 18. The wicked shall return to Sheol, or the grave, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. If we're going to say it's not worth it to trust what God is doing and we're called to endure, if we're going to say, I don't care, I want to forget God, then we're choosing the grave. Or as Paul says, the light momentary affliction instead of the eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. We're choosing 
the temporary life over the eternal life. David knows how serious it is to forget God. David knows the temptation to say, it's not worth it. I know better. That's why David ends the psalm the way he does. Look at what he says in verse 20. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is David asking God to show himself so that we wouldn't forget God. He says, oh Lord, help the people know their place because in our sin, we want nothing more than to put ourselves in your place. Without God showing himself, we say, I'm the reason for my success. Without God showing himself, we say, I'll be the one who decides which sin is punished. Or we'll say, I decide what's worth it. That's why David says, oh Lord, let the nations know, but they are but men. If they only knew you, if they only understood who you are, then they wouldn't be so foolish to write you off. They wouldn't be so confident in themselves because they'd see you. This really, this is David's plea that we would look like Christ by the beauty of Christ. David knows that we will not be transformed into the image of Jesus if we forget God. So how do we look like Christ by the beauty of Christ in every aspect of our lives? Starts by not forgetting God. We don't forget that he is the reason for any success we have. We don't forget that he is the judge who ensures every sin will not go unpunished. And when he calls us to endure, we don't forget what he's done in the past so that we can trust him today. When he calls us to endure, we don't forget the good news of the life, death, and the resurrection, and now reign of Christ. That's the gospel that enables us to trust our good God. Thanks be to God, the one we can't forget for this unspeakable gift. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to show up here on Sunday and have our minds reoriented around who you are. Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, through your Holy Spirit, you would just give us a fresh view of you. Lord, that we would know who we were because we worship, acknowledge, and are thankful for who you are. Pray, Lord, that that would Help us examine our lives and in every part of our life. We just we would remember you on a Tuesday afternoon or breakfast on a Thursday or hiking a mountain on a Saturday, Lord, that we'd be conscious of our creator and that would transform us more and more in the image of your beloved son, Lord. I thank you that you have joined us to him and guaranteed that by your spirit. Um, it just takes the weight off and we, we worship you for that. I thank you for this morning and for the people socially distanced here and just the joy that that is to me and to the other volunteers especially. Uh, pray, Lord, for healing and that we'd be able to gather again as a, as a whole family to just praise you and worship you. In your name I pray, amen.